0: All right, everyone check this out i want to talk to you about peak tea's new electric turmeric tea it's something i have been using for about the past two months now you heard me speak about peak tea for about the past year for a very particular reason number one out of everything is quality for me and you know me if you listen to my show how specific i am about what i put into my body and teaching you all how to look for quality when it comes to peak tea It's 100% organic, which is beautiful from the get go, but then when I learned that it was triple toxin screened for heavy metals, pesticides and mold, that was one of the most important things I heard because that is not the standard for teas out there and it really caught my attention. So this one in particular has been one of my favorites because I've been using this every day as part of my ritual. So what is in this electric turmeric? Let's start from the top, Okinawan turmeric. This is fermented turmeric because we know that it is poorly bioavailable. What are the benefits of turmeric? Supports the body's natural inflammatory response, supports a healthy immune system, healthy joint health, cellular regeneration. What else is in here? Organic ginger, one of nature's most important anti-inflammatories and immune supportive as well. And then Ceylon cinnamon. This is to help control blood sugar and sugar cravings. All of these organic, this is an excellent formula that I've been using every single day. Here's my little recipe. I'll take warm water, open up the tea crystal packet, put a little salt, a little bit of monk fruit or stevia, froth it, and there you go. Now I have my tea that I use as part of my ritual every single morning. All right, if you're interested in purchasing this tea, Peak Tea has gifted us with a discount. So for all my Heal Thyself listeners, go to peaktcom slash Dr. G and the code that you're going to use is DRG. You're going to get 5% off of your purchase. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of Heal Thyself. Thank you for joining. Thank you for rating, viewing, subscribing. I'm going to really, really, really have a lot of excitement coming out of me right now for this show because i um, I can't wait, really can't wait to talk about what seasonal eating means to me, what it means to the microbiome, and what it means to our overall health. A lot of us have spoken about seasonal eating, but not really truly gone into it. So I just want you to understand what it means. So in the Knowledge Bomb, we're really going to cover that. But really, we have a very, very special guest. You know how much I've been moving and wanting to talk more about trauma and what it does to the nervous system and how it predisposes how we show up in the world as we become adults, right? So we're really going to get into childhood trauma, how we hold in that trauma, uh, how that affects the way we interact and intervene with things in our life. Um, So it's going to be really, really powerful um, conversation that we're going to have with a psychiatrist. Um, So I really can't wait for that. So this show is going to be packed. So just get ready to uh, take out the notepad and learn a lot of really, really important stuff today. All right. All right, Knowledge Bomb, seasonal eating, very, very important concept to pay attention to. I'm pretty sure at this point, most of you have heard about it, but if you have not, really what seasonal eating is, is just what it sounds like, eating with the seasons, changing your food and your variety and your diet with each season as it passes. So a lot of us, including me, uh, take seasonal eating in as an intervention, but not completely. Uh, you know, I, I like some of the foods that are out of season, but really most of my diet, I try to stick with the seasonal changes. Not perfect, but really I wanted to talk to you about what that does to our overall health in the context of really the microbiome. You're going to learn some really cool, cool stuff today. So one thing that I can re- uh, remember that got me started on this eating seasonally or loosely eating seasonally is when um, I think it was last summer or two summers ago, I I didn't eat many blueberries um, that summer. I remember at least the last month, like let's say August and most of September, and then I did a podcast in San Diego, uh, and it the the studio was connected to like a local produce delivery uh, factory. So uh, the the host was nice enough to give me some blueberries, and I had not eaten them in let's say eight weeks, and. I was starving. I was in my car. I had another appointment to go to. So I just ate the blueberries and this was already at the end of September. It was already getting cold. And look, this is this might be just a correlation, but I remember my stomach immediately just started hurting so much as if like my digestive system was just pushing out those blueberries and goes, no, I don't want it. I, this is not something that I want to eat. You should have ate this two, two months ago, Dr. G. So um, it got me thinking I felt intuitively that the food was out of season and my body, I felt it in my body. So it was a really interesting thing that got me into seasonal eating, but I want to share with you a few things. When you seasonally eat, you're eating foods that are in harvest and you're eating them locally, right? So already you understand that when you're eating foods that are out of season, that are imported, um, what's going to happen is there's the chance for reduction in nutrient uh, concentration right so when you're eating locally food local food you're getting them freshly harvested from your local farmer so essentially you're getting a higher concentration of nutrition also when these foods are in transport especially from a really far part of the country or even out of the country um, the risk is if it's not organic that it's sprayed with a lot of these uh, herbicides and pesticides insecticides to protect it until it gets to the supermarket and you buy it so uh, I want us to start thinking about one important concept of supporting our local farmer. And it's important because not only are you supporting your local community, but also you're getting the freshest of the fresh. You ever, ever go to a farm, and I, I remember I've experienced this when I was in Wisconsin for a, a conference maybe five, six years ago. Um, It was uh, the Standard Process Factory, which is a supplement company. And they gave me beets that were literally just pulled out of the ground maybe 30 minutes ago. And I never will forget how those beets tasted because they didn't taste like the beets that I was getting from Whole Foods, that's for sure. Um, And many of you are blessed enough to eat that way. A lot of us aren't, but really... You, you notice a different taste profile. It feels good. I, I remember I, I ate the bean and I said, Oh God, I feel so healthy right now. But um, it's just, it's pretty incredible. So, really start looking for a local farmer to support for many reasons, uh, but nonetheless, being really important to start eating seasonally. So the great thing is when you do eat seasonally, you add diversity to your diet, right? As each season passes, you're getting different sorts of colors of the rainbow, uh, uh, flavor profiles, nutrient profiles, fiber profiles. So it's really cool that you're, or fiber concentration, it's really cool that you can start changing it. Because for me, look, we're all bio individuals. Some of us really tolerate this food really well, but the other one, not well. For me, I can't have lemons, limes, or grapefruits. They they mess my whole system up, but some people thrive on it, right? Vitamin C rich foods. Um, but when seasonal eating, the really major point that I wanna make is how it affects your microbiome. And we know that microbiome is everything. We know we are outnumbered by bacteria to nucleated cells in our body. We are much more bacteria than we are the cells. Isn't that wild? But for us, it's, okay, the microbiome thrives and survives on fiber-rich foods that produce fruits and vegetables in particular, right? It, it it will acclimate to the food you give it. But really when you're giving it that nutrient-dense fiber-rich food, you're setting the bar for the good commensal bacterias to grow and the pathogenic, the disease-causing ones, to stay at a low level and controlled. When you're eating crappy, sometimes the reverse is true. So what about eating seasonally? Well, when you eat seasonally, you see dramatic changes in the gut microbiome as the seasons pass. And the diversity of the commensal bacteria expands. Here's where we see it especially, and there was a really cool study. It's the Hadza people of Tanzania. And when they studied this tribe, and it's one of the last few hunter-gatherer tribes that are left in the world when they studied this tribe, they looked at their poop, right? In their poop, they saw that their gut bacteria waxed and waned through the year, right? It's meaning that we saw some of the really good ones really high, the commensals, and then that went down. And then as the seasons pass, other good ones go up, they go down. But really, the belief at that point was that the stimulus, uh, the, the input in our system, the, the, what's a the stimulus that is causing this was the food. But what we're starting to see that it's also temperature fluctuations that affect the microbiome. This is pretty incredible stuff. So for me, when I was learning about temperature fluctuations and environmental stimulus affecting and potentially changing our microbiome, that just blew my mind, right? Because all of a sudden, I was pigeonholed into understanding that yeah, food is the main causative stimulus. You know, some stress. Um, you know, environmental toxins. We we know like pesticides can affect the microbiome, but to think that fluctuations in temperature can, well, that was pretty mind-blowing. So we're starting to see that. Although it's preliminary, we're really, really starting to see it. So not only land-dwelling animals like mice and ducks demonstrate this, but also oceanic temperatures. When they change, we see changes in the microbiome of fish. It's pretty incredible stuff. There are a number of preliminary studies that actually are showing that fluctuations in the microbiome are connected to temperature changes. And again, for me, it's really eye-opening to think that there are stimuluses as, for us, benign as, you know, a shift from summer weather to fall weather that can really have an effect on our gut. So preliminary evidence, we're starting to see this in land-dwelling animals, right? Mice, rodents, ducks, deer. We also see that oceanic temperature changes can affect the biome of fish, which is pretty incredible. So there was a recent study by Fontaine Navarro and Cole. And this study was in the Journal of Experimental Biology. And the name of the study was Environmental Temperature Alters the Digestive Performance and Gut Microbiota of Terrestrial Amphibians. And this was really interesting because it shows that the gut microbiome mediates the relationship between temperature and digestive efficiency and energy assimilation gut passage time and metabolic response to feeding of ectotherms which are the animals that are dependent on an external body heat like uh, cold-blooded animals for example so there is a so essentially what we're seeing is a direct relationship between the microbiome and temperature and how they affect, how how each is affected by each other, the temperature affecting the gut microbiome, that's actually changing how efficient our digestive system is working and how we're utilizing the energy coming from food, which is crazy, right? And also how our metabolism is responding to the feeding. So essentially as the seasons change, it seems as if through this study that, and again, they were looking at the cold-blooded animals, um, in this study that, their whole metabolism, the way they digest food, the way they utilize the energy from food changes with temperature stimulus. That's pretty incredible. How the mechanism, we don't necessarily know yet, but one of the major focuses is really the sensitivity of the gut intestinal barrier. Remember, Zach Bush came here and talked about the leaky gut or the intestinal barrier, which is literally just a lining of cells, but that seems to be what is particularly sensitive to temperature changes. And the mechanisms that we see connected to that may be that the heat or cold changes the intestinal permeability. So we know that, for example, when you're in the sauna, it induces heat shock proteins, but also the cold can change different factors in the body. Those stimulus can affect that lining of the gut which in effect changes our whole digestion because it's a giant network that's communicating with each other that is helping support our digestion, the way we assimilate food and anything else that has to do with a really healthy gut. So as we learn more, we're even seeing that microbial enzymes, right? The bacteria in our gut, they're enzymes that help break down food, move in sync with the seasons as well. So essentially we may may digest food more efficiently in some seasons than others, which is wild. Um, but it makes sense, right? It would be silly to think that we can eat the same amount of calories, the same amount of food every day of the year. Uh, that, that would not be a true statement because we know that through time, how the way we evolved, there were even, even outside of seasons, we had times of feast and famine, right? So our bodies are in constant fluctuation. Our systems, our metabolism is in constant fluctuation. That is the number one truth to the body is that nothing is fixed. So it stands to believe, and as we're seeing in preliminary data, that literally the change of the seasons can affect our digestion. Wild. And this is echoed by Ayurveda. It's one of the most ancient forms of medicine out there. It's out of India. And they acknowledge this. But not only are they suggesting that fluctuating You need to fluctuate your foods with the seasons, but also they take it a step further and they put us into these constitutional doshas, which align with very specific foods. Um, But if you're more interested in learning more about that, go back to episode 39. I had Sahara Rose come to the show and she actually diagnosed my dosha or gave me my dosha and then um, suggested foods that I needed to eat. So it's really interesting stuff. Um, Again, this is all like on the forefront of understanding. When it comes to the microbiome, we know very little about it. But what we do know about it is incredibly fascinating. And what we have learned about it, especially in the past 10 years, is that it is a, if not the pillar of health, uh, a giant pillar of health. And the way that we interact with our environment seems to be intimately tied with our health and our microbiome. Last thing, I wanna talk to you about a resource that you can check out about seasonal eating. Check out the Seasonal Food Guide online. It is a seasonalfoodguide.org. What you can do is put in your location, the month and the food, and you can find out what months those particular foods are in season where you live. Uh, So that's really cool. I looked today and I looked on uh, California and apples and saw that they were in season from August to December, but also really cool. You can click on after you open up the apple tab or whatever food, you can click on a section and it'll show you how to shop for the food the different types of apples, how to cook, preserve and its nutritional profile. So it's a really cool resource just to have better knowledge and better connection to what produce is coming to your kitchen counter and ultimately your kitchen table. So it's really awesome stuff. They have an app also. And just think about this as a whole. If you if you have digestive issues or any issues with your health, let's think and and it, it stands to believe how much I talk about being in line with nature and following our circadian rhythms, right? Not only for sleep, but every biological process, it then stands to believe that we should follow the way we eat based on the way we evolved, Uh, depending maybe geographically, but also just think about the season, start with the season. So if you have digestive issues, why don't you maybe stay away from the summer foods now that it's fall and start incorporating some of those more grounding, hearty foods. I really hope that helped. I know it helped me once I started, when I stopped eating blueberries in the middle of the fall and I started eating more grounding, warm foods. It definitely helped my digestion. So check it out, try it out. I really hope this helped. Now, are you ready for this conversation? Because I have been waiting for so long to get this guy on, Omid, Dr. Omid. And um, it's it's just gonna be, it's, it's the stuff that I love to talk about when it comes to health. So I'm really excited and without further ado, let's get this combo going. All right, everyone, very special guest today. Dr. Omid is a adult and childhood psychiatrist, but really, I got him on here because I want to talk about the deep, deep-rooted stuff that you hear me talk about, the mind-body, the trauma, letting it all out, and how that integrates and translates to physical health. So, uh, Doc, thank you for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Christian. Yeah, you know, you have this affect about you that is just very calm and grounded. <laughs> and meanwhile, I come out of a tornado, so I come into the room and it's like, your patience must be at peace because you feel like you radiate this peace about you, man.
1: <laughs> that, that's th-
0: that's good to hear. It's amazing. It's like being the example of what you preach, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it is. It is actually. I, the, the um, What you're making me think of as part of our logo is, and our website is a hummingbird. And um, I like the hummingbird because I think that ability to be graceful, yet flapping its wings like 300,000 300, times a minute, apparently. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it takes in modern life
0: mm-hmm.
1: with all the stimulation and all the things we have to balance
0: out yeah. this is to be sane. Yeah, that's amazing yeah. stuff. So I introduce you as an integrative psychiatrist. What's, yeah. is, what's an integrative psychiatrist versus just a traditional one?
1: So um, integrative medicine is a field... Um, People may know Dr. Andrew Weil. He mm-hmm. he's kind of the founder of integrative medicine, and it's based on the idea that um, Western medicine, while it's done profound things in terms of disease eradication, um, the medical model and uh, Western medicine is so focused on just endpoint disease. And integrative medicine, its its foundation is looking at the whole person and looking at the innate capacity to heal Mm -hmm. and to look at evidence from other fields, um, uh, non-Western traditions, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, um, looking at uh, other things that are coming through and how to integrate those into a more holistic approach. Mm. Um, And empowering people to heal is um, one of its main principles, and it was a big inspiration to me. Um, I can go into my story, you know, but like how I got there, because I worked in foster care and Um, really, really high-risk youth, tons of medication, a lot of overdiagnosis, And the short story was just seeing that these kids are not getting better. And very much the model was like a sick model and just medicating and diagnosing and not really looking at what is this person actually capable of and tapping into their innate capacities. Um, So integrative medicine really drew me for that reason, and uh, as well as really understanding trauma and how trauma really heals through a more holistic approach, actually, mm-hmm.
0: um, is how I got there. It's powerful because um, you're taught in a paradigm through school. And then what it must have been for you to go, this isn't working. Like, we're just over-medicating. We're, we're palliating yeah. symptoms. Symptom, like you said, sick care. Yeah. Um, so was there a very specific moment within the foster community, I think you you, you were alluding to, but was there a moment where you go, I can't, I can't treat like this anymore. Like this is, I'm, I got to move out of this. Yeah. You know, there was, there was
1: a bunch of moments. I think that when you first said, was there a moment I thought of, um, a client that I shared actually with my wife, who's a family therapist. And that's how we met was working with this family. And, um, you know, the father, the the, the daughter was having a lot of issues with anxiety and the family as a whole was so dysfunctional. And when you really got into the history of the mom and the dad. You know, the dad was a Vietnam vet, had had a lot of horrible things happen to him, including the system really letting him down when he got back, which was really common for Vietnam vets. Um, and the mom had had so much intergenerational stuff. Her her um, her parents were children survivors of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And so when we started to work with this daughter, I was the, referred just the daughter to see me alone because she had a anxiety disorder and major depression and was on a couple medications and it was like there's a bigger picture here. you know there's a bigger story here. you know there's family issues that are going on. this, this, this girl is is, is um, expressing s- symptoms that we say is they're, they're symptoms of the, the system. The system is really out of balance. And, and it's not even about the parents. So that even yet is not as holistic as you really want to be because you can still say, okay, with those are they need family therapy then, you mm-hmm. know. But family therapy still presupposes then there's something wrong with the family. And I think what stood out about that case is that what's happening for this girl and this family is the expression of what's happening in society, in our in the ecosystem and in, in how we're living as a whole. That they're not yes, they're sick, but that doesn't mean there's something wrong with them. And in fact, you could even argue that, that it's their health that is struggling with conditions that we're not meant to live in, you know. Um, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that was kind of the birth of like flipping the story around, around like this model. We said I said a few minutes ago, a sick model. The other way that we reduce in Western medicine things, um, we reduce to sickness and not look at the whole person and their health. We also reduce to the individual, that there's something wrong with you. you know, I often say to people, you know, if you're a teenager, you're, you're struggling with something, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're not sleeping, and then you go into a doctor's office and not only do you have all those problems, but then they say to you, you have an anxiety disorder and communicate to you that there's something genetic, there's a chemical imbalance. So it's like that for the individual, it's like, well, that's another problem I actually have. It's, it's we, we reduce things to us having these problems rather than talking about um, what what are the really root causes of this, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and there's multiple root causes. It's not yeah. just, something that really stuck out that you just said was that we are extracted from or an environment that really is conducive to healing. Yeah, um, And yeah. a lot of these communities that we see who have a lot of uh, mental imbalance, we'll say, uh, yeah. for lack of better terms, is that is just that they're just in an environment where they are, where they can't fully be them, express, uh, conducive yeah. to healing. Yeah. Um, what is it about our everyday environment that you see? Yeah. That is really putting a, a damper on on our health.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we talked right before the podcast started about authenticity, right? And, um, you know, if you look at, um, and I'll kind of go on a little tangent about how, how I came to see it this way, is if you look at the, the data, um, we are progressively getting sicker decade by decade. Um, and you, the way to look at that is disability rates and, um, and medication usage. So if you actually track, starting all the way back from the 1950s, decade upon decade, our medication use keeps going up, mental health issues keep going up. We are at real epidemic levels of um, mental illness in our country. You know, one out of five people is, um, is on a medication in our country. I mean, if you could imagine, one out of five people had cancer, mm. right? We're talking about depression right now is the number one cause of disability in this country. Um, world Health Organization says it's gonna be number one in the world by 2030. And when I went through residency, you learn like that. Well, we're not we haven't diagnosed people enough. We haven't given people enough treatment. That's why the disability rates don't go down. You know, we've been doing this system for forty years. About which is like when modern psychiatry, biological psychiatry. So if you those step back and look at the conditions, there's really clear hallmarks like from the 1950s of how we've also changed how we live, you know. hundred years ago, most people on average, um, up until the late 1800s, most people lived in a home with 13 other people. Uh, most people worked on land and worked um, alongside family members and people that they um, considered community. And they worked physically, face-to-face, eye-to-eye. Um, so starting with the Industrial Revolution, this shift to being indoors, outside in nature, shift to interacting primarily with machine all day versus real human aliveness. Um, Big, big steps happened in the 1950s, this like shift to suburbia. Mm -hmm. People know that like historically, that was a huge shift in Western culture where this idea of the nuclear family was born. This idea that like two parents are sufficient to raise a kid when if you look at it, let's say from what we talk about in the nonprofit that we should get to is um, if there were a car, like you go and you buy a plant at Home Depot that comes with a card that says, what are the conditions that this plant needs to thrive? How much sun, how much water? Mm-hmm. You know, two people running the village is, is like trickles of water for a plant, mm-hmm. right? And if those two people are stressed working long hours, right, they're bickering at home. You know, these 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 are these are the really the larger conditions, you know, the changes in terms of how much time we spend outside, how much time we spend with each other. But really also in the 1950s, media really took off. Mm. And you can say what started with TV is what's keep continuing with the internet, cell phones. We're interacting more and more with machines, and we're interacting more and more through the world of image, representational information a big factor is that technology has made it so we really don't need each other anymore to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, you could actually have an interface with everybody you interact with that you construct and you really don't have to be authentic. Mm -hmm. So authenticity comes out through struggle. Deep connection comes out when we have real interaction on a physical level and especially when we struggle with each other. So we really keep disconnecting. What we say in the nonprofit is that the real root cause is progressive disconnection from our natural ecosystem. And maybe more than anything is the breakdown in community, Mm. meaningful relationships that provide us with interactions that bring out authenticity and a deep sense of belonging.
0: That's so powerful. Yeah. It's, It's so true, you know. January 1st, I did a post on Instagram mm. and the number one, I did top five interventions for health and the number one was community. Yeah. And as I learned more about it and I dove into the research and I did shows on community here, it's pretty incredible that community isn't one of the first questions that are asked in a doctor's office. Do you have a community? Do yeah. you feel uh, socially supported? Do you feel connected? Yeah. Right? Are you with like-minded people? Yeah. And I was just doing an Instagram live before this and I did a whole thing on community spiel because- Yeah. Yeah what that does for your health is is beyond powerful right like it's 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 just i'm so happy that you said that because that shift i do believe is when a lot of these mental issues started arising yeah because i've always been a, a huge supporter of communal health communal living like what what the power of grandparents do to raise their children right that's right people who've been through all the shit right that's right and they can they raise our children versus someone who just doesn't even know themselves yet yeah and hasn't even faced who they truly are so yeah is so this is your your belief what's rooted in a lot of these mental health issues yeah. is is not being aligned with our true nature that's right exactly
1: and and, and the link with trauma, Because if you look at the data, it it really is trauma, especially early childhood trauma, that's underpinning depression, anxiety, PTSD, as well as suicide, Mm -hmm. addiction, liver disease, chronic health conditions as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a movement now to be trauma-informed, to really see trauma as the root cause. But what we talk about in our profit and in our clinic is that really trauma is actually your our heritage we're 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 designed for actually a lot of struggle we're designed for a lot of experiences of terror and overwhelm that that is part of life the real root cause is the loss of conditions we we can break a bone you know i can fall and and, and cut myself i have this innate capacity to heal we're meant to go through difficulty what the conditions that are missing, those, those especially in community, what they, what they cause is a disconnect from our authenticity. So then when we go through difficult experiences, we can't actually manifest our own natural response to it anymore. Mm. That world of image we live in means we're limited in our repertoire. Our tolerance for difficulty actually narrows. Mm. So part of the problem is we're actually too safe. You know, like another, like in the 80s, safety became a really big thing. The um, physical safety issues really meant that kids spent a lot more time indoors. You know, that conversation. I remember when, you know, before the 80s, you know, kids would be out in the streets till late in the evening and, and a lot of eyes were watching them, right? Now kids are indoors a lot more. Um, a lot of things are, are making us um, what's called narrowing our experiences. We're having narrower and narrower experiences. And so our tolerance is actually becoming narrower for difficulty. Wow. So part of the problem is when we then go through something difficult,
0: we think there's a problem Mm -hmm. rather than it's one of the steps towards actually growing. Wow. and, and, And it's, it's interesting because I've seen it even over the past five years, how we've narrowed our capacity and ability for healing and going through things. Right. Yeah. God, like, the, the cell phone and all these apps have exploded in five years. Yeah. And you say world of imagery and I never thought about it that way. Yeah. It literally is image after image after image after image. Yeah. And that becomes our reality. The safety that you're talking about. Yeah. Is interesting because now we raise kids in a bubble. Man, I was outside all day. Yeah. I was going through it. I, if I fell, I fell. If I had a good day, I had a good day, you know? It, yeah. it, it, but to, for me, sometimes I think about, I don't have kids, but I think about, what that's going to do to our youth and incoming generations? Yeah, who grow up in a world of image, not yeah. being outside, not going through it the way we did when we were on our bikes. It's pretty yeah. wild, huh? Yeah,
1: very. I mean, if you, I have small kids, and it's it's a there's a crisis out there of um, kids that can't self regulate anymore. They have difficulty with um, uh, difficulty. You know, I was uh, when we moved to LA. Ten years ago, I took a job at Loyola Marymount's College Campus uh, Counseling Center, and it was in 2010. And I did two years, and then the last year I was there was 2013. And there was this huge spike in college uh, kids having problems emotionally, like two to three times as many visits to the counseling office. Um, and, And really a common pattern being like, Something bad happened, and I started to, you know, fall apart. And sincere struggling. Um, I'm not saying it was attention seeking or exaggerated. It was like truly suffering, but the 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 cause was not so significant. What's really interesting I, is if you if you date back eighteen, these are eighteen year olds typically. If you date back eighteen years from 2012 to 2013, where does that get you? Is 1995? Right, 1995 is basically when the internet kind of got introduced. Mm-hmm. 1995 to 1998 is considered the window in which, like, the internet went from there's something new to we're all realizing we got to be on it a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what it was like for these kids in homes. Um, parents are more distracted, and we need relationships to self-regulate. We learn self-regulation by being, by modeling ourselves. You can also see it became a lot easier to also put kids in front of the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, get into, if I get into something with my wife, um, I can just text her right there. This is what I think. And yeah. she could text me right back. There's no, I got to wait till I get home to mm. have that conversation. So what is that like on my nervous system? Six hours of holding that emotion. Mm. And like what kind of deepens inside me As I have to tolerate the discomfort of not just doing something about it immediately, right? We're really getting hooked on dopamine in that way, like just action, 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 and
0: not sitting with discomfort. One, it's really interesting, because now I'm connecting it to my experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like the accessibility to just handle it fast is is pretty powerful. Uh, But... The guest that we had on the last show literally said the same exact thing. Mm. Is is disease coming up and we're not giving ourselves the ability to just sit with the discomfort of what the dis ease is. Yeah. And um man, I never thought about how we prime and tune our nervous system by being like, Well, damn, in four hours I'm gonna get into it, my wife. Like that anticipatory anxiety, what is it doing to your nervous system versus like just a dopamine hit of like, let me handle this now. Yeah we don't think about yeah. these things yeah. and, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. All right. So then like, and, and, and we're being told that
1: we're sick right? and we're being told there's something wrong with us, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a big part of this story then because it just kind of feeds on itself. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: uh, yeah. And, and that story that we keep with ourselves, we identify with over time. Right. And oh, yeah. we inevitably start experience more of that because it becomes us. Yeah. My anxiety. Yeah. My depression. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So then look, now it's 2020. We have cell phones. I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah. Right? We 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 had, we were raised by mom and dad and I don't know if that's changing anytime soon. Yeah. What, and how do how do what do we do, you know? What do, some of us live in a concrete jungle, some of us don't. Yeah. Does everyone have to get into nature, live in a communal vibe or yeah. how do we start really healing?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, there's a few things to say to that. I think that um, one is we are, whenever technology gets introduced, it goes through waves of examination and how to use it right, right? Like we, 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 we invented cars and then we realized we need seatbelts, right? Um, I think it really is on us to make decisions on how to regulate that. You know, it makes a huge difference if you decide, when I, if you're a parent especially, when I get home, I'm going to put the phone in a drawer for the first hour and just be available to my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, dinner time, you know, we can sit around and we can put our phone in another room. We could turn off our phone. We can put it somewhere else. We don't have to have it always next to us. You know, we can... We, we we can we can there are a lot of things we can do in which we figure out how to integrate these technologies and integrate the way modern life keeps changing. We're not um, we aren't um, you know Rome fell, <laughs> Rome with the greatest empire. like we 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 can actually be um, going down the wrong track and really need to like make radical changes. Um, we don't have to, and I don't think we should opt out, check out, go live on a commune, you know, I don't, that didn't really become popular for a reason, because I don't think we can go back to prehistoric ways of living, you know, 25 people Mm -hmm. on land working together, Mm -hmm. you know, but we can, we can learn from the neuroscience, like, what do our nervous systems need to feel whole, you know, we need experiences of authenticity, we need experiences of belonging, and we also know that those things are a felt experience, it's not a mental thing. Authenticity and belonging uh, is the core way we assess in our clinic what's what somebody is going through and how we help them change, how we support them reconnecting with those capacities in themselves and and changing from within. Um, big thing is to teach is that emotions and uh, are in the body. You know, we you said to me earlier what was the moment that things changed. I told you the story about the family. Yeah. Another big moment was working in foster care and seeing all this trauma being the root cause. And um and then picking up this book called Waking the Tiger by a psychologist, Peter Levine. And he he describes trauma and he describes it as this frozenness in the body when we get overwhelmed. Like the, the word shake it off comes from that, is that we 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 naturally have this fight or flight system, right? And the fight or flight system comes up to, um, when, when we're under threat and we can freeze in our body and we develop trauma when we get stuck there, right? Mm -hmm. Well, a big profound thing in reading that is that, is to talk about emotions and the stress response being in the body. Now, I went, this was after five years of psychiatry and child psychiatry residency, um, top universities. And never did anybody talk about emotions or in the body, mm-hmm. which is like the basic thing, right? Yeah. Like when you sit with somebody and you feel connected to them, it's because your heart feels warm. Mm-hmm. When you're sitting with somebody and you feel uncomfortable with them, it's because your body's uncomfortable. Your body's always giving you the information. Mm-hmm. So we are we are progressively becoming disembodied and you can see then why yoga is getting more popular, why right. mindfulness is getting more popular. You see that human spirit always keeps trying to reemerge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is why practices like yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, or in Native Americans have the sweat lodge. We, we cultures create practices precisely to heal that mind-body disconnection. Because mm-hmm. this story of, of creating technologies that get us in our head too much and disconnected, it's been around since we developed the ability to think.
0: That's powerful. And it's That's true. a long answer to your question. No, no, but it's, but it's a very it's a very So there are things we one. can
1: do. I'll t- I, what I'm saying is that um, we have to create practices in our life. Otherwise, it will take over. Mm-hmm. You know, it does take over. So we don't have to opt out. But little things can make a huge difference. Like I was saying at dinner time. There are people who now take 24 hours on Saturday of no technology, it's oh, right? Getting outside in nature, like, you know, the COVID, I mean, we were all under lockdown and, and it was when we, people started to get out and move. You
0: really realize how much these things matter to your mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what I tell people. It's like, we have the ability to access nature, most of us, even if you live in New York. Yeah. Just get, get out to a park, ground, be in nature, be in silence. Exactly. Uh, and the reason I don't shut up for the past two years about rituals is that because that gives you the space to come back to the body, get out of yeah, here. That's which, right. which, unfortunately, the state of the world and technology—it just—we're always in our in our brain, in our head, in yeah. our stories, right? So you mentioned trauma being locked in. Would you say that most of the way we see the world is developed by the age of seven? Mm. Um, or are we still, is our concept of dog and cat developing over time? Like, do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. are most of our traumas and our concepts of ourselves really at a, at a young age? Because so many people were like, Yeah, everything happens when you're young. You know, it's it's is that true? Or is it really just over time still, even yesterday, the day before, is, is it still developing?
1: Yeah, so the a lot of what's happening is in those early years. And for two reasons, like early brain development. If you are in a chaotic environment in those first two, three years, especially your brain's baseline becomes really sensitized. So a lot of people I work with underneath what they experience is I have depression, I have anxiety. A lot of people have this chronic feeling of dis-ease in their body, always feeling on edge you know, not triggered by something in particular, but always kind of just feeling uncomfortable in their skin throughout life. Um, that often comes from early, early childhood, um, chaotic environments. Hmm. Um, the other thing is in those early, those core relationships in the family are where we learn who do we need to be to get love. So we've been talking about authenticity. Um, the main things driving us, you can really lay down into two categories in early life, okay? is We have authenticity is our natural state. Anybody who has a child who's had children knows, like in those first year or two, if they're hungry, they cry. If they're angry, they yell. They don't hold back. And the next day, they're not holding on. They're not holding back, and they're not holding on. They express it completely, and they move on. So authenticity is our natural state, the inside and the outside match. But as mammals and primates, we can't survive on our own out in the world until early adolescence, really. We're wired to model ourselves after the people that we depend on for survival, and it's for survival. You know, the same ability. So when do things change, that authenticity? You know, you notice a lot of the times you most, you know, you can see three, four, five years old. That's when you can tell the kid isn't always saying what they really think or feel, right? Well, why do they do that? Because their survival depends on it, okay? Um, Attachment, bonding is actually primary for a mammal and it takes precedence over authenticity. So if you're living in a home, we were talking about earlier, like the the outer image, the persona. If you're living in a home or in a culture that there are particular aspects of your authenticness that are not safe to show, Mm -hmm. you will learn to suppress that because your life depends on it. You pretend just like you can pretend you're a cop or a robber. You pretend who you you have to be to get love or to get attention at least because it's not love. In some circumstances Mm -hmm. it's my survival depends on it so that's that core conflict and that's like when you look at trauma when you look at these trauma early in life that's causing so many things later in life the rates the research really shows the link okay but what about all the people who went through all those difficult things and they didn't get sick Okay. Why? What's the difference? Yeah. That's, I think, the really interesting story. Again, not looking at sickness, but looking at health. What is it that cuts us off from our health and our ability to recover from things? When you you look at it, that frozenness, that stuck place, it's the person who already learned that they have to stay a certain way. If I grew up in a house where I wasn't allowed to get angry, then at 14, when I'm being pushed around, I'm going to freeze up. Mm. If I grew up in a house in which I can't cry, boys don't cry. If I grew up in a community, boys don't cry. Then when I go through a serious loss, I have to hold it in. Mm. And then by 14, 15 or 20, 25, I'm not choosing to hold it in. By then it's, it's who I think I am. Because mm-hmm. those early identities that if we have to take them on, and we take them on for dear life, they become automatic. It's what we call the persona in our model. Mm. We come to think that's who we are, and we're disconnected from that authenticity. So then, when new things happen, so a lot, of trauma can happen over and over again. It's that person who's already disconnected. Yeah. You know. The other side of the story, though, is that we can also rewire our brain at any age. We can, we can, we can change at any time. It takes going through experiences that heal the nervous system Mm -hmm. that goes through means when that crisis comes, maybe my symptoms are not because I'm sick, but maybe actually my persona is breaking down.
0: Mm.
1: So in our model, yeah, in our model, and it works is these symptoms are often your authenticity actually breaking through. So when we sit with somebody, we help them see like, this is actually your health emerging. Wow. The ability to not move on this time after this, whatever triggered this depression, the ability to not move on is is some part of you not wanting to continue to be the same. There's something that needs to change.
0: Not wanting to bounce back to what your self that you've developed or created. Yeah.
1: The most common thing, the most popularized, this was like in the ads you know, for, for antidepressants are, I felt like myself again. Mm. I went back to what I used to be like. Now, I, I wouldn't discredit like that at times is what is the best thing. Is like, boy, I didn't handle that well. I'm glad I got back to myself. But that's not what life is about. Life, like meaningful life, like if you look at like what's meaningful in your life, when you look at like a life lived that's fulfilling, mm-hmm. it's a series of experiences in which we struggle and changed and grew, right? That's what makes movies, like good movies are yeah. about that because they tap into that innate wisdom of what like we need, mm-hmm. right? So we, we shouldn't go back to what happened. When something happens, we should change because of it. Right. We should grow because of it. We should learn because of it. We should expand because of it.
0: I got over my depression because I've created a new self really yeah. and a more authentically driven self. Yeah. Not this persona that you've created as you, yeah. Which in many times, like you said eloquently, we've developed that over time in life. It's interesting. I got, had a little hot flash when you were talking about this because I know that that was something deeper coming up, yeah. and it was it was aligned with me growing up. And it was always like be smart and be tough. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, being smart, my dad always told me. That's like okay. Well, I can be smart, but what does tough mean? Well, tough means not to cry, right? Yeah. And um, not that I was chastised when I cried, but it was more like, like kind of like toughen up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, when my mom passed away, uh, when I was in my first year of school, Mm. med school, there was no crying Mm. at all for ten years, dude. There was like three, yeah, three times I cried in ten years. Yeah. So, and I speak about the what healed is. Finally, when I went and moved to Topanga and I was in solitude, yeah. uh, one, I was in nature Two, my nearest friend it was 30 minutes away and the, yeah. and I, I just was forced to either be on my phone, be on Netflix or sit and yeah. sit with that discomfort. And I I kid you not, it felt like solitary confinement for a a week Mm. when I first moved there. I was so uncomfortable because I was just sitting and I created this, the only thing that really helped me was this visualization of me sitting on a bench Mm. with a big green monster. And that big green monster is like grief and sadness and not talking. But like this visual in my third eye, of just sitting next to this big green monster, just sitting there, not talking and being with it. Beautiful. oh my
1: god i just recently had a very similar experience two weeks in a cabin Mm.
0: but exactly you sat sat yeah and guess what 39 days straight of crying after that after that week three years three times in 10 years and then 39 days straight how is that possible Yeah. and all of a sudden i didn't come back to christian that guy was old that's an old guy right this persona was so much more authentic and guess what i created and grew and attracted a community it right. was much more in line with who I was.
1: And that feels like belonging. It feels A like A place belonging. where I actually belong. Yeah. Belonging means we're somewhere, we are, whether it can be an environment or relationships in which I can be myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, truly. Authentic. Highest version of yourself. And, and, and yeah. isn't it interesting that I had to be alone to not be alone? Yeah. Right? I didn't have to be alone and then I got this community and it's beautiful cuz I can be myself, my highest version of myself yeah. without fearing judgment. Yeah. It's it's wild. Yeah. That's, That's be- healing.
1: That's beautiful. I, um, I I say it's beautiful cuz I just went through something similar of just isolation and facing it. The other thing you said is 39 days in a row. You said how can that be? And the and what came to my mind was the word karma. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding of the root root word of the of root root meaning of the word karma is not about um uh you carry over into another life right it's the basically like the first law of physics um everything has a cause and effect it's just basically cause and effect and that's the way the body is the what freud called the unconscious is in the body it's that the body is holding that information meaning those 39 days are all of the times you clenched when something authentically was trying to break through. Yeah. And we hold it. And that's, to me, the, the, really the, the, the more immediate and practical way of seeing karma is that it's, it's not going to go away. Like when we say we compartmentalize our emotions, we literally hold, you see, and this is the key, we hold it. Like you, you when that authenticity is bodily, you can tell that five year old is hiding things, not because they're telling you they're hiding things, mm-hmm. but because you can sense it in yeah. their movements, the naturalness. And what's happening is we learn to hold through postures, right? And that that accumulates, that then holds because our integrity Our integrity really means like if if something really meant something to me, I can compartmentalize it, meaning pretend so that I could fit in. Mm -hmm. But my integrity is going to mean I'm going to have to acknowledge that someday. And I, and I think that the bodily thing is really important speaking with somebody in cancer because, you know, a lot of these chronic, I, I won't go into the realm of cancer. This is my question to you, but like, I work with most people I deal with; they have GI issues. Most people I deal with, they have um, body pains. These are the expressions of the chronic holding in our body. Yep. You know, when you were there thirty-nine days, it was bodily. Yep. Once you broke through, you had to let your body kind of
0: let out a lot of wild energy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 wild because I had really severe psoriasis. You see it right here on camera. Yeah. This is much better than it was before those 39 days. Yeah. It's taking a while to heal, but yeah. man this it was all over my arms. Wow. Isn't that incredible? And I knew it. I knew it. Trust me, I did the best yeah. protocols for psoriasis and then at some point I said this this is not physical. Like it's not yeah. it's deeper.
1: Yeah. So Well, it's we well, we have to be careful because, you know, that the, there's a history there in 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 alternative medicine of saying, you know, these are all spiritual. Right. Right. And I think that the way I, the way I read the data and see it is like that we have predispositions. If I held in as much as you held in, I would, I would overeat. (laughs) I'd get GI issues. I would abuse substances. I would go down a certain path. Like I wouldn't get psoriasis. Your genes, your genes are different than mine. The genes tell a story. Yeah. You know, you're more predisposed to certain things. I'm more predisposed to certain things, but it's like, it's stress and inflammation. Yeah. So the stress and inflammation are the gas pedal mm. to like what turns on these genes when we're inflamed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. which but I, makes so much more sense. Yeah, but I've seen that. I've seen people like have remarkable changes through like grieving or healing trauma and tons of physical
0: issues get better all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that this all comes back to your authenticity. What is your... You 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 were the your most authentic when you were a kid. We all were at some point in our yeah. lives. Can we be our most authentic as adults? Yeah. You know, walking around and doing adult things. But can we truly be without judging ourselves or feeling judged? You know? Yeah. And yeah. I love that you bring it back to that. You have a um, nonprofit.
1: Yeah. So we have uh, we the 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 clinic. Um, it's called Hope Integrative Psychiatry, and then um, it's a, this model that we created. My the roundabout way of telling you about the nonprofit is that um, I I did the integrative medicine training and I was all excited. I knew that certain herbal remedies work better than medication. And I knew yoga, meditation, breath work, teaches kids to self-regulate, but there's no institution in foster care that was gonna fund that. And I was sitting there with these families saying, it's just $20 for this herb. Like, I can't afford that. Like, how about a yoga class? There is no yoga in our neighborhood. You know, and even if there was, I couldn't afford it. So I decided I'm going to go into private practice, design a model, and hope that it's going to be, um, it's going to find, it's going to get attention to come back to public health. And remarkably, three, four years ago, there's a place, McKinley Child Center, large 300-employee institution. They have residential treatment for these foster care kids with mental health issues. They have schools, outpatient clinics. We are now um, two and a half years into a complete organizational transformation there. Wow. planting planner boxes for Whole Foods, where kids are going to learn how to grow their own whole foods and learn how food affects their mental health, mm-hmm. teaching yoga, breath work, meditation, wow. all staff learning how to meditate, um, you know, everything coming from this idea of if we create in this environment the conditions and authenticity and belonging being the core to culture change in the institution, that that authenticity and belonging is the key to mental health. So the, the staff are going through exercises, learning how to be more authentic and how to tap into that authenticity. So that model and this project really gave us the foundation to then start the nonprofit called Lameda Project. And Lameda Project's, mission is to uh, rewrite the story of mental health and well-being. We think that the core of the issue is the story, Mm -hmm. both the individual story, but the story we're telling about why we get sick. Are we getting sick because there's something wrong with us, or are we getting sick because the way we're living is is not adequate Mm -hmm. for us to be healthy? So that's the core of it, and then looking at transforming organizations like McKinley, um, as many places as we can with mm-hmm. this model, because mm-hmm. um, we've seen tremendous success in our clinic. We're seeing great success at McKinley already. Um, so, yeah,
0: that's the nonprofit. That's beautiful. And <laughs> yeah. the website is?
1: Um, the website for the nonprofit is lameda.org, L A M A I D A dot O R G. And uh, the clinic uh, we're here in Los Angeles is Hope Integrative Psychiatry. It's Hope, H O P E, psychiatry dot com.
0: Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I, love, I love to hear that. Um, it was such a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, man, great to talk. I know you're commuting here, but we, we need to get you here in a few episodes late, uh, in the future, basically. Because yeah. We I, there's so much more I wanted to cover. Yeah. But you're a busy guy. Yeah. Got to respect the schedule. My yeah, brother.
1: we went. Yeah, I can't believe how fast it went. It, it, no, I know. That's but it, sign but of it, a good conversation.
0: It really resonated, yeah. and I really appreciate your knowledge, the way you look at mental health. Yeah. And what you're doing for the world is yeah. the exact person that I want to bring on the show. Yeah. And you embody that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> uh, such a good conversation. This is the type of stuff that I really do believe health is rooted in. We really, really, really should start thinking about a few things when it comes to health. We have physical manifestations, but look deeper within. Look at your mental, your emotional, your spiritual, and your connection to nature first. Those are the first interventions and then see how the physical responds. We have it the other way around. And this conversation with Dr. Omid has really, really put into perspective a lot of things of how we should approach our health. So I really hope you enjoyed that. I really hope that you share it with the people you love so we can expand this show. Thank you again for rating, reviewing, subscribing. I will see you next week. I can't wait.